Greetings, Alpha Seekers. Welcome to uh, today's really innovative edition of uh, the New Gen Ventures podcast. And we actually have a call-in uh, guest today, Vern from Vermont. Hello, Vern. How are you? Well, hello, Terry. It's gosh darn good to be on the show. I enjoy listening to the podcast and my gosh, I'm talking to you live in person. It's yeah, great. first time, long time listener, first time caller here, Vern. So, uh, so Vern had a question about a uh, great gift idea, which is uh, to uh, take a little plunge into the wonderful world of uh, investing. So, uh, tell us what you have in mind there, Vern. <clears throat> Well, Terry, I have a niece who will be in college next year, and I wanted to give her, I wanted to spend $100 today uh, around the holidays, but after the first of the year, obviously, since we're in 2021, and I wanted to gift her $100, but I wanted to put it in the form of investment and uh, do it for a short-term investment, this would be, since it's a small amount. And I, I figured I would come on the show and ask you because I enjoy your take on long-term and short-term investments. And uh, this one would be would would give her the option of next year um, either cashing the the uh, gift out because she may need it because she'll be in college, and or she could have the option of rolling it over. And um, I was wondering what you thought would be a good idea to do that, keeping commissions low and um, going from there. Yeah, well, you know, it's a novel idea. As you know, we've been touting the 10-10-10 deal. So our normal, uh, you know, desired investment is a little bigger than $100. But I am a firm believer in introducing people to the wonderful world of free market capitalism. So... Yeah, I think what we can do is uh, take that $100 and set up a little uh, trainer wheels account. And uh, per the terms of the 10-10-10 deal, the way it works is she will get a guaranteed 10% return on her $100. And she will get that back if she so desires in 10 months. And she can, if she so desires, roll it over or we can just uh, give her a $10 profit. And, of course, that's just by way of illustration. And uh, then, as a result of getting in before we get our broker-dealer thing, she will be exposed to any upside that we get on our uh, Nugent Ventures biotech portfolio and uh, none of the downside. So that's a good thing. And at this point, we're not taking uh, a 2 and 20 approach to it. So basically, we're just using that money as uh, capital to under underwrite or, or under, uh, what's the right word? Uses cash to secure the, the, the options we write. So we won't be taking the two and 20 that we normally take. After we get a broker dealer thing, basically we're going to take a 2% management fee and 20% of the gains. But until we get the broker dealer thing, it's a very simple thing. There's nothing but upside and no downside. 
So. Oh my gosh! Well, Vern likes that idea. Nothing but upside. Yeah. And no downside. Yeah, they that's, say there's no free lunch, but you know this is an exception to that rule, and that's only going to be the case till March one, um, and then we're going to, you know, basically you'll be you'll sink or swim with us. And again, we say to all of our potential investors, when you're doing something speculative like that, you know, keep it to like one percent of your investable uh, funds. You know, normally you want to keep things in a 60-40 or whatever is the right configuration going forward. But to take 1% of your money and see if you can grow it to 10, that's, in my mind, a good uh, a good deployment. And that's certainly what I'm doing. And uh, I welcome people to come along in that journey. Oh, that's super. That's super. Well, I know your background in biotechnology and healthcare is spot on. You uh, made some good predictions that I've heard come true over the last, uh, you know, 12 months or so. And I, I can buy into that. Can you, can you refresh my memory on the 10, 10, 10? Um, I heard that on the podcast, but I, I don't, uh, can't put my finger on to explain it to somebody else. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of picked it up from the late Herman Cain. Remember he had the nine, nine, nine plan, which I never really understood. But the 10, 10, 10 is pretty simple. Uh, 10 months, 10% interest. And uh, we were looking for $10,000, basically. You know, that's a nice manageable account level for both parties. And it also goes with the 10, 10, 10. So does that make sense? Yes, for sure. All right, good. And so... Um you're saying that, and I'm not. I'm I'm not as adept on the terms as you are, so I'm just trying to uh, go along with some of your listeners who might have questions. But um, there's no way that she can. There's no way uh, that she can. If the investments that you're making on this hundred dollars, there's no way that she can lose the the. That is correct. On this. Yes, sure. Her, her principal is not at risk. Uh, and her interest is guaranteed by the full faith and credit of me, you know, so. And then it's until March that you can do that. Offer. That's, that's correct. A, that's yeah. That's an offer. Right? Yes. That's until, you know, till the end of February, we'll be taking money on those terms. Cause honestly, that's the only way we can. Uh, the interesting thing about the regulatory environment, which I discovered in the process of getting into this, cause this is kind of my third or fourth career. You you know, if you're an angel investor or seed investor or anything that's not SEC regulated, then, you know, all you have to do is be an accredited investor and you can do whatever you want. Either side of the transaction, it's not, it's very lightly regulated. But once you start to get involved with the public markets, which in my mind are actually safer than, you know, angel or seed, and I say that as an experienced angel investor, uh then you're subject to all sorts of regulatory stuff to protect people like your niece, you know, from getting taken advantage of by the Bernie Madoffs of the world. So that's why we're doing it as a debt instrument, because that we can do without having any regulatory uh, complications, shall we say. But once we get into the, uh, the SEC-regulated broker-dealer arrangement, then we not only can take money as a direct investment into an equity, you know, stock market driven thing, publicly traded thing, but we have to comply with all those rules and regulations, which is, you know, which is fine, but it's, it's just kind of a, 
It's a very regulated industry, and it's been quite an education. So I hope all right. that makes sense. Uh, yes, it, it does make sense. Okay. Um, I, I didn't get exactly the part about the um, why the – it just makes sense to me to, to have more regulations involved when you're dealing with uh, accepting public money. But you, you were saying something about why it makes less sense for the public and more sense – for uh, angel investors, I, that goes over my head a little bit, but um, you know you can explain. Yeah, that. well, sure. let me try to clarify that. Uh, if you're an accredited investor, and there's various criteria that basically mean you've got a lot of money, and you make a lot of money, and you're sophisticated, you know. So, in other words, you know what you're getting into. At that point, you can get involved with what's called angel investments and startup companies. And there's a sort of a safe harbor at that point. In other words, the average person is protected a lot more than the sophisticated investor. The sophisticated investor can go into things and not run afoul of any regulatory issues on either the the investor side or the uh, capital raising side. So, in other words, if I've got and, a start, and all that defines a sophisticated investor is the amount of money that they have in the bank. Is that right? No, no. no. Actually, there's more to it than that. Okay. Uh, you have to you have to attest that number one, you've got a certain income or a certain net worth, uh, or both, preferably, and you also uh, qualify as a quote sophisticated investor, meaning that you're in you know sound mind. You've had experience in, in investing, and you understand what you're getting into, basically. Because, like, you know, if you're a trust funder, for example, and you just inherited $5 bucks. In fact, I just heard about, I was just talking to somebody today about a story like this. Trust funder got $4 bucks and blew it all, you know. Mm. Not exclusively on investments, uh, but, you know, that there are many stories like that. And we saw that in the Bernie Madoff era, too. So just because you have a lot of money, you know, a fool and his money are soon parted. And there are fools who get money. They either, you know, win the lottery or they, you know, inherit the money. And, you know, the minute that happens, there's all sorts of sharks out there who go after them. And there's tragedies. Rich is the rag stories, you know what I mean? So right. the right. the way the statutes are written is that you not only have to have the money to invest, but you have to have the sophistication to understand what you're investing in, okay? Now, if you take, for example, your niece, uh, you know, young person, inexperienced in the ways of the investment world, if she is to be considered to uh, invest in something like we're doing, then you know, if it's going to involve publicly traded securities, that falls under SEC regulations. And there's a lot of compliance issues that you have to comply with, including having an arrangement with something called a broker-dealer. And a broker-dealer is very highly regulated, and it costs like literally over a million dollars to get that in terms of all the legal work and everything else and the compliance work. But then if you're a broker-dealer, you can allow smaller companies to use your broker dealer in other words you know it's kind of like practicing under the license of a physician if you're an np or pa so a broker dealer can go and say okay here's nugent ventures 
we know this guy, we trust this guy, we think he knows what he's doing, he's not trying to pull a scam, so we will give him our imprimatur, if you will, and then he can go out and sell registered securities. So that's basically what that whole, uh, you know, hierarchy or infrastructure does. On the other hand, so that protects the non-accredited investor, you know, the, the retail investor. Now, on the other hand, if you're an accredited investor, you know, you have a lot more autonomy. People can do deals with you that they couldn't do with a non-accredited investor because the regulatory system says to itself, well, this is a sophisticated person. You know, they're investing money they can afford to lose and they're not going to lose their house or anything. And if, you know, if they go out and make a deal, you know, they're, they're smart kids. You know, they're, they're big kids. So we'll, we'll let them invest in a little startup or something. And uh, we won't, you know, require the people who are raising the money to go through the vetting that we require with a publicly traded company. So, you know, it's designed to protect people from being taken advantage of. And that's, you know, I think that's actually probably good, you know. Right, right. Uh, Vern would say that with great freedom comes great responsibility. So right. we, we want to keep people free and free to do what they want with their own money. But we want to also protect uh, un- unknowing people from, from sharks and, and charlatans. But um, Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes back to the old Alan Greenspan. You know, Alan was a like an Ayn Rand disciple and, you know, total free market guy and didn't even believe in preventing or protecting people from fraud because he figured, you know, the marketplace will eventually out people like that. But I think when you, and, and there's the criticism of the nanny state and everything else, and uh, but on the other hand, you know, you look at what Bernie Madoff did. And of course, Bernie Madoff did it, you know, right within the system. I mean, he was like one of the big guys at NASDAQ, you know. So he was a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and he the regulators would come in, and he would just lie to them, and they would just buy it and then go back home. So regulation isn't a panacea, but uh, I do think that you're probably better off preventing, protecting people from themselves, you know. And it in the, in the end, it probably makes for a more trustworthy, worthy investment environment and i think that's good for the entire system so anyway it is what it is so regardless of whether it's good or bad it is what it is but i was surprised when i got into this you know my background's healthcare, and so i'm not unfamiliar with highly regulated industries but i was surprised exactly how regulated the financial end of it is and a lot of that i think too and i don't quote me on this and i can't give you citations but I think a lot of that is post Dodd Frank and post Bernie Madoff, you know. So those are a lot of it's I think been in, in put in place to you know kind of fix the holes that that were there in the system. So right, right, and it's it shows like yours, Terry, who are you know uh, venturing out, excuse the pun, into uh, like lands that, that are, are are unchartered. And uh, bringing this message to people who are, you know, with very little knowledge of the investing world, and uh, that really helps. You know, you, go, you have the one extreme where you're insured by the FDIC. I remember the sticker on the bank, and uh, yep. insured by the FDIC. So that, of course, is your safest, safest bet. And then anytime you're you're going out of that 
umbrella, you're encountering risk, and you yep. have to uh, learn about that, and not not jump in blindly. Yeah, I think that uh, the educational aspect of it, and I work with a couple of financial advisors on you know expanding their networks and providing education about how to run your money how to run your finances, you know, writ large in terms of insurance and, you know, retirement income and tax management and all that. Education is crucial. And the more knowledge you have, the more power you have to avoid mistakes, which doesn't mean it's a risk-free thing to do. But if you properly structure your portfolio and you listen to the people who know what they're talking about, Uh, I mean, I've come to the point where I actually recommend to people that they have a financial advisor. And I ran my own money until 2008, 2009. And at that point, I mean, it was easy. back. I started doing it in 89, and I kept doing it through 2008 or 9. So for like 20 years, I mean, I thought I was a pretty smart guy. And then (laughs) it's like, hey, this... This this maybe this isn't a job for an amateur. So I I hired professional investment managers back then, and I still have. I have two, you know. So I kind of have one versus the other. And the best thing about having a professional portfolio manager is that it's not you. You know, it's kind of like the lawyers always say, "Only a fool uh, is his own lawyer," because you have emotional. Uh, temperament to deal with, right? You can't be objective about your own finances. And the people who really lost in these big crashes are the ones who sold at the bottom. Even in March, you know, if you sold when the market was down 35%, boy, you're in a world of hurt. But if you just sit there and did nothing, then you're fine. You're back and you're up. So a lot of times the the best thing to do is nothing in your broader portfolio. And a, a financial advisor you know, the greatest thing about it, and these guys take like 1% rap fee, which is not that bad. It's not like it used to be. Uh, and so if you call your guy up and you say, I got to sell, I can't handle it, you know, at least he'll talk you off the ledge, right? He or she. And that's the, probably the main value of it, you know? I mean, anybody can do an index thing and do 60, 40, or whatever it is, but. Uh, and then my guy comes to me with stuff like, you got to be in emerging markets, you know, and I'm like, really? Well, that turns out to be a smart move because the dollar has dropped in value so much that emerging markets are going to be in good shape here. So they are talking to hundreds of people every day and they are getting the best kind of research and everything else. So, uh, you know, and that's what they do all day. So... It's kind of like, don't be your own doctor, don't be your own lawyer. I I think you should probably have an, a professional uh, investment manager working with you, uh, even though, you know, there is an expense involved. Like, one, I think that 1% is probably well worth it in the long run. That, that's 1% of your total investments per year that you pay to that individual? Yeah, it's called a wrap fee. And it used to be these guys all worked on commission and they tried to sell you goofy stuff and churn your account. But one of the things, actually, that, you know, Dodd-Frank has a lot of critics, but one of the good things about it was they reformed that. So you your investor now uh, has fiduciary responsibility for you. So if they churn and burn your account, that's a bozo no-no, 
according to the regulatory framework. And that was not always the case. So, you know, I used to have funds that were like 8% load. And it's like, really? You know, but for a 1% wrap, I, my experience has been that that has been well, well worth the, the money that I pay. So, and that's why I say, you know, the kind of stuff we're doing in New Gen Ventures, we're trying to hit home runs. You know, we're not trying to hit singles here. And so I would recommend to anybody who's got, and you know, I mean, if you've just got a 401k or whatever, you don't need to do that. But if you've got anything, you know, $500,000 or more, I guess, that's where the boys from Fisher Investments always draw the line. It makes sense to get somebody in. Or if you get a lump sum from your retirement, it makes sense to bring somebody in to run that for you. You know, especially if you don't have any experience. I mean, I know people who run their own and they do a real good job of it uh, because they're on the ball all day, you know, and they're glued to the computer and CNBC. And But even that, you know, one of the temptations, I watch CNBC every day so you don't have to, as you know, but uh, one of the temptations there is every every five minutes they have a new guest talking about some stock. And when I first started the trade options, I would be like, oh, I got to take a position. And then I ended up with 50 positions. And it's kind of like the guy who used to spin the plate. Remember the guy? You may not be old enough to remember the guy who used to spin the plates on Ed Sullivan. Well, when you got that many balls in the air, it's hard to keep them off the ground. And so that's the, you know, you have to watch these shows or, or even read the press about financial press, you know, and understand, look, you can't go chasing everything. And half of the time, these guys are going to be wrong. I'm telling you, it's a coin flip. You know, even if you watch a guy like Jim Cramer, it's a coin flip. You know. It right. Over- so so a good thing to keep in mind, it, it, you know, we have this proliferation of gambling that's coming, sweeping across yeah, Illinois and sweeping right? across non-Las Vegas states. But it seems like uh, in, in Burns' eyes that... You go to the casino or you go to the the web page to, to do some betting and, and um, try to enhance your portfolio or have some fun. But you always keep in mind that you, you, you're going for the night maybe to the casino and you have, let's say, that $100 again, uh, that imaginary $100 in your pocket that you're willing to part with, that you're willing to lose. So yeah. you have that limit set up and... Um, I, I would think that would be a good thing to keep in mind for the average person uh, approaching uh, investing or gambling. Yes, um, and I counsel against gambling, although some of our listeners are pretty good at it. But um, the the interesting thing about uh, investing is there's this app called Robinhood, and uh, it came to the fore just about the time the pandemic shut everybody down and the sports were gone so people there's a guy named barstool bernie who started to just bet on stocks instead of uh sports and he made a ton of money because he started buying in stocks in march and you know you couldn't lose so he's like stocks always go up this is easy and he was being kind of sarcastic but i think a lot of i talked to a lot of young people who were doing that on robin hood or whatever and they were like, look, these things always go up. And I said, you know, you'll find out that's not always the case. And then one day they would walk in and they didn't have that big smile on their face. So, and the the, the riskiest thing I think on that platform is they let 
people trade options without any training. And we had a terrible tragedy. Some kid out in the southwest suburbs hung himself, 19-year-old kid, because he got a report on Robinhood and he thought he owed him like $200,000, which he oh did. And he hung himself and he didn't. He just didn't even understand the report he was getting. I won't go into the technical details, but, you know, so it's kind of like don't try this at home. I mean, if you want to buy a fraction of a Amazon share, like your $100 niece, right? If she wanted to go out and buy $100 worth of Amazon, okay, fine. Or she wanted to buy $100 of the QQQs, which is the NASDAQ. Okay, fine. But don't go out there and put it in options. I mean, it took me a good year and a half to two years to really understand options. And I have an MBA. Granted, it's in marketing. But, you know, I I was an experienced investor when I started to trade options. And when I first started doing it, I didn't do well. But I didn't do as badly as I might have because I had been trained by Dan Keegan, the options thinker, and I knew how to limit my risks. But even then, I did not do well. Now, you know, 10 years later, we've started uh, trading them in Nugent Ventures and done better, Uh, you know, and we hope to do better still. But this is not something where you pick up the app and it's like DraftKings, you know what I mean? Uh I don't think they should allow people to trade options until they go through some kind of a training course, honestly. So that's my two cents. And you, you do right. have to realize that investing, you like to think investing isn't gambling, but it really kind of is because you're putting money into something and the outcome is not something you can control. So this is passive income. And gambling's the same thing. I mean, if I bet on the bears, which of course I wouldn't, uh, I can't control how they play. So I am, my fate is in their hands. So it, same thing is true when you buy a stock or an option or whatever. You can't control what happens. So it's, you know, it's in that way, it's similar to gambling. And you have to understand that, manage your risk and manage the odds and everything else. But you talk about the FDIC, I mean, basically because of the Fed, we're in a zero-rate environment. You can't, when my mother... My mother had a, like, she dropped out of high school when she was a freshman, right? So her formal education was, like, almost non-existent. But she made an incredible amount of money back in the the 80s investing in these certificates of deposits. They were paying, like, 18%. Well, wow. if you put your money in a certificate of deposit now, you're not even making 1%. So... You really don't have any choice but to take some risk. And that's not by accident. That's by design. The Fed is trying to get people to invest their money in things that will grow the economy rather than just letting it sit in a CD. So you don't fight the Fed is one of the first maxims of investment. And, you know, you just have to go out there if you want to make any kind of an income off of your money. You have to take some risk assets. So... You know, it's not fun to gamble. I'm not a gambler, but, you know, you really almost have to do it. And generally, you're better off betting on America than betting against it. You know, if you look at a chart of the S&P over the history of the index, it always goes from the lower left to the upper right. Sometimes it goes down, but over in the long term, it's a pretty, pretty linear chart from the lower left to the upper right. And so you're 
you're almost always going to be a winner in stocks over the long term. That doesn't mean you can't be down for 10 or 20 years, frankly. But, you know, in the real long view, you do better when you're invested. So. Amen to that. And um, I maybe next time or uh, you want to you might want to touch it. And I'm, I'm speaking for the very novice, uh, unexperienced investor. So you touched upon Amazon and NASDAQ and. Uh, one of the questions might be, what would you tell me to be investing for for my niece if I wasn't going to take your great uh, 10-10-10 offer? Um, would, it, would it be like, you know, you hear people buying a share of Apple or uh, buying one share of Amazon, say, um, it, it, what, how do you do that? What are the costs? And we, we could do that in another episode, but yeah. that would be something that would be interesting for me. Yeah, well, per- let me just quickly address, perish the thought that you shouldn't take advantage of this great deal. But in the event that exactly. you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the event that you don't, I think Apple or Amazon fractionals would be a, a good choice. What is the, a fractional? A fractional is, and, and most of the brokerage firms, I think, or at least a lot of them are offering this now. So Apple trades at what 220 some dollars so your niece couldn't buy even one share but what she can do now is go out and take her hundred dollars and buy uh whatever percentage that is like half a share which is nice and there's no commissions on it so if she bought that you know today she could probably expect in a year that that's going to be up because apple you know you never want to bet against apple if she wanted to do an index, she could go out and buy a, what they call a spider, which is a S&P 500 ETF. And that's just the whole market. Not the whole market, but the bigger companies. Or she could buy a fractional of the, of the QQQs, which is the NASDAQ 100. You know, you can do whatever you want. I mean, there's there's so many ETFs. There's so many stocks. But... I think Amazon and Apple are probably two of the best bets that are out there right now. So maybe throw in a maybe throw in a Tesla on that. Would you Would you agree with that? No, no, not necessarily. No. And I could definitely be wrong, but Tesla, even Elon Musk says Tesla is overvalued. So I think that. At some point, you know, valuation doesn't matter till it does, is something Guy Adami says all the time on CNBC. And there's no way to value Tesla other than, hey, it's, you know, it's the green trade. You know, okay, fine. But, I mean, if you do the numbers on Tesla, that valuation makes no sense. However, if you do the valuation on Apple, if you do the valuation on Amazon, those valuations make plenty of sense just in terms of a price equity. You know, Apple from time to time is traded 12 times its earnings, okay, which is low. Now it's at 30 times earnings. But that's, that's high, but not that high for a tech company. If you look at Tesla, I mean, it's trading at, 30 times sales, or I don't even know what it is, but, you know, the difference between sales and earnings, obviously, is huge. And so I wouldn't recommend that right now. I mean, 
What I really wouldn't recommend is Bitcoin, but I haven't recommended Bitcoin all the way up from 12,000, and now it just hit 40 yesterday. There, I'm more of a value investor, uh, and I just I am always the last guy to get in on the momentum stuff. Like Bitcoin and Tesla are momentum trades. So if you're the kind of guy who gets into that early, you're a good momentum trader. If you're skeptical and you're like, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, and then finally you say, okay, I believe it, those are the guys who get the who don't get a seat when the musical chairs stops, you know? And so I would not recommend that to somebody uh, with $100 because I think you could end up with $50 very easily. Whereas if you go into Apple or Amazon, I would be very surprised if you didn't end up with more than $100 in a year. So... Right. Well, I'm sold on the uh, Nugent Ventures approach, and I'm wondering if I'm going to be able to tell my niece what that $100 is being invested in because it's a good educational tool. And also, um, if, if somebody were to be going with a share of Amazon or Apple, would they go? To, I mean, I hear a lot about Ameritrade with the Ricketts, and uh, yeah. I, where, where would they go to to? Well, you could you could you could do it on Robinhood. You just download the app, and I have not done that, but I have heard that it's very easy. Uh, you can go to Schwab. You can go to TD Ameritrade. As far as I know, I know Schwab does fractional. I know uh, I know Fidelity does. So most of the major brokerages have that available, and I don't know the details of whether they have minimum account sizes or anything like that, but um, I do know that most of them are doing commission-free, too. So you have to shop around a little bit, but I mean, the easiest way, frankly, to do it is Robinhood. But don't get caught up in the, you know, because they kind of gamify trading, right? So when you make a trade and you make money, a little confetti, you know, so don't get caught up, or your niece, don't get caught up in the you know, the gamification aspect of it and start playing it like it's a video game. Just put your hundred bucks in your Amazon and sit there and watch it. You know? We remember about, uh, it's gotta be 10 years ago now where we had the Super Bowl flooded with these, uh, financial trading ads and they were always so inventive and they were brand new. They were out of, uh, left field, but, um, those, those got my interest at the time. And, and those, that's what we're talking about here with, with some of these different uh, companies, but uh, Fidelity has always been a, a rock solid one to me, and um, yeah, you know, four hundred one k investing to their retail presence. Yeah, and actually, so you know, one. my my go to recommendation is Vanguard. Uh, I I still oh. am, yeah, I still am a Vanguard customer, and I was exclusively Vanguard for a, a long time, and there probably the best company in terms of trustworthiness that I know of in that whole industry. So I, I can back that up too. I've had some, some dealings with them and they were, were excellent. That's yeah. For sure. Highly recommended. Yes. Terry, where did you, where did you want to take the show today? What were you thinking about? Um, not I, much I to uh, talk to you again. And maybe yeah, not, in on this. not much Vern. I mean, I thought that since this was our, uh, novel calling you know i would just do that today because not much happening in the markets uh pretty flat and uh well let's see i'll tell you what bill let's take a look at the exciting uh nugent 
Ventures LinkedIn page. And see what there is to see. There we go. Okay, we're up to 91 followers, folks. So uh, help us help us get over 100. If you haven't followed the page, uh, follow the page. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I put something out there, which is a video from Wall Street Journal. And actually, it's a silent video. So basically what they're talking about is health insurers and pharmacies have less to fear from business and regulatory threats. So you probably saw in the news that that uh, Amazon thing with uh, Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon at Chase, Berkshire Hathaway Chase and uh, Amazon, they dissolved that thing. That they that was supposed to be the big disruptor. <laughs> you know, as they as our, our president said once, uh, healthcare is complicated. Who knew? So. That didn't work out so well. Um, I knew that Atul Gawande, I think, MD, was the guy who was running that, and uh, he quit. You know, I was like, what are these guys going to do? So that's a good example that healthcare is pretty difficult to disrupt. And as we go into the Biden administration, you know, you may end up with a public option here, but I think that's about it. So I think the healthcare sector, and so does the journal, they think it's a good opportunity because you're going to see a lot of healthcare that's been impaired uh, due to COVID come back. So a lot of the uh, discretionary procedures are going to come back. Um, I don't think that the first thing on the Democrats' mind is going to be Medicare for all. I just don't see that. So that's bullish for the healthcare sector. And, uh, then you've got the boomer, you know, guys like me. I mean, you know, we're going to be in the shop a lot. So like everything else with boomers, the whole system has to expand like a snake eating a rabbit, right? When we were in school, they had to build a bunch of schools. You know, when we needed jobs, we had to create a bunch of jobs. And now we're going to need a lot of health care. So that's the only thing I put out on LinkedIn on the New Adventures site in the last 24 hours so about all I got, so I'm glad you uh, called in, bro, because otherwise... Well, I'm sure glad I got the info, because uh, I know what a trusted source you are. Well, thanks. It's, it's rock solid, that's for sure, and uh, you're, you're trying your best, and uh, giving people an honest shake and explaining the, the nuts and bolts, which is very valuable. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear it. You know, that's what keeps us broadcasting here, or narrowcasting, or whatever, and uh, thank you for uh, your loyal listenership. <clears throat> Enjoy it. I enjoy it. All right, sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Vern from uh, from Vermont. And, uh, you know, if anybody else out there wants to be a guest on the program, just let me know. We figured out the, the production, such as it is. And uh, so we're, re- we're ready to book you. So uh, that's about it for today's episode. Live long and prosper and stay safe and uh, enjoy the new year. Make it a great one. Bye-bye.